Welcome to Mythos Podcast, a journey through world folklore, region by region, country by country. Here you will experience folk tales and legends through music accompanied retellings of traditional lore. With brief introductions, the emphasis is on the stories and the rich landscapes and cultures that birthed them. Enjoy the riches of the folk imagination. Welcome to Folklorica Baltica, an exploration of folkloric realms in Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia. Episode 7, Mother of the Underworld Introduction In Latvian folklore, the world of the dead is called Esole or Vinsole, translated the other sun. This is the underworld dimension that harbors the descended sun at night and is populated with the mate or mothers of the afterlife. Velumate, mother of the dead, greets the dearly departed at the cemetery and brings them in a sleigh to the underworld, where she has prepared a bed for them. Then, she burns the morning clothes, takes down the cradle mounted by Lema, or fate, and bakes honey biscuits for the new souls. Zemes Mate, mother of the earth, holds the keys to graves, and is often addressed as a person's final resting place, like in the lyrics of the following Dana, or traditional song. Rock me, mother, hold me, mother. Short is the time spent at your breast. Mother Earth will hold me longer. Beneath her turf, a welcome guest. While there is much woe and grief at a departed one's deprivation of earthly life, there is also comfort in an afterlife of gentle mothering. This ambivalence towards death in the Danas is powerfully rendered in images of lost love on the one hand and homely benevolence on the other. However, the souls of ancestors are not lost to the earthly realm forever, but do return from Michaelmas to Martinmas, the 29th of September to the 10th of November. October, then, is a spiritually potent time, and the oft-stated idea that the veil between worlds is thin at this time holds true in traditional Lavian practice. The living would prepare their homes for a visit from deceased ancestors, with the house cleaned and table laden with food for the occasion. To open this feast, an elder of the home would call the names of all the ancestral dead in living memory, inviting them to eat with the living. And with the familiar tension found in all family life, the elder would also scold the departed souls for not having taken proper care of their ancestral homestead, asking that they please do better in the following year. With the air cleared this way, the veli, the souls of the dead, would be invited to eat. Food would also sometimes be placed in the cemetery, the granary, or the bathhouse, and sometimes the souls would be invited to cleanse themselves in the bathhouse. Then, when the feast was over, the veli would be chased out of the house, which would be thoroughly cleaned to ensure there are no stragglers. And in this story, we follow a young Latvian man into a forest where he follows yet another tradition, retrieving the ancestors from the forest cemetery in a horse-drawn cart. 
And before we begin, a quick reminder that if you'd like more stories from the folk, our ancestors of old, on a more regular basis, then head over to mythospodcast.com and sign up to the email list. Part 1. The autumnal forest, full of gold endings and insinuating shadow, wrapped ancient arms around a young man, his horse, and a large cart, as he left the firelit clearing of his ancestral cottage. Accompanying him, as full and present as storm-heralding winds, was his father's voice, calling out to the veli, naming them one by one. Artur's dear father, Eva! dear mother, and back and back into broken branches of the family tree that had long since fed the forest floor. His father's invitation to their kin of the other son followed him into the edge of the forest, but then was pillowed, blanketed by the rain-glistened gray lichen and the clinging softness of mosses. Smothered, too, were the rich smells of the feast being laid for the dead, beetroot and sorrel soup minced meat cakes and herring, gray peas and barley. Instead of the sizzling of water being poured over hot stones in the sauna, there is now silence. The tall and strangely tortuous Scots pines of the Norway spruce with its peak and flare depth of green, the old man grooves of the ancient oak bark, and the flowing, fluttering fey tresses of the birch. These sentinels barred the entry of human speech, and the young man was left with his lanterns and forest murmurings and glowing animal eyes and scatterings and scurryings in the underbrush. As the young man gently urged his horse on towards the cemetery of his ancestors, deep in the woodland, he wondered if they, the departed, heard the thud of the horse's hooves reverberate through the forest floor wondered if his coming could be heard in deep, deep Vinsole, the land of the other sun. He wondered if he could remain calm, if his skin would creep and surge with sharp shocks of fear, when his cart, laden with straw-stuffed pillows and hand-knitted blankets, began to creak and shift with invisible weight. where rich green arching ferns and bramble thickets and clustering rites of plants had been, there was now pitch-black emptiness, and where his lantern did penetrate these strange patches of infinite dark. There were only remnants now of browning bracken and pine-smothered forest floor. The young man had the impression of strands of hair on a balding head. Indeed, there was thinning, in this arboreal realm, as if a great old crone mother had raked brittle nails over the earth, scarifying grass and tree and air. 
pollen and scent and growth had been pruned, pared back, and what was left was cold, pure air, stark evergreen endurance and the warm colors of dying leaves. Indeed, as the young man knew, that thinning went deep. The crone mother's raking claws had churned the earth barrier between his horse's treading hoofs and the land of the other sun. And other realms, obsidian havens of dark forces. Well, he knew that boundaries were paper thin in the lengthening autumnal nights, and that he had to keep his wits about him as he neared the ancestral cemetery. Much more than red deer and elk and wild boar and mountain hare would be about. Much more. For a time, his horse plod and his cart bumped through a normal plain of wholesome loam and cool dampness. The arch of the sky held familiar celestial friends and the nooks and crannies of the dark woodland hosted only calm silence and earthly scurryings. But it was when he passed a crossroads that he felt it. Like the dusty exhalation of a puff fungi being stepped on, but much larger, like an exhalation of living spores that sought terrible mischief in the lung and skin of the world. An inflating silence descended over the forest, and even the horse huffed and whinnied and stomped with apprehension. Then, from some space deep in the folds of the air, over a swampy recess of the forest floor, there appeared a blue-red flame, a flame full of licking, reaching chaos as if it were composed of a raucous and feral clan of little fire devils. The young man remained silent, straining to see what seemed to be something round, golden, in the middle of the flame. Gold coins! The impulse to dash off towards the flame was immense, until his horse huffed and stomped, refusing to move. The urge faded, and the young man breathed in, waiting, waiting. And soon, the fire singed and flamed, and appearing and disappearing was an open mouth inside, an angry mouth silently shouting. And as something like a tormented face wavered and contorted in the flames, the coins began to shrivel like a plant in a drought. And the young man remembered, remembered the toothless wisdom-filled mouth of his grandmother, telling him of the Vatatayas and their lonely rage at having died with such sudden senselessness. His grandmother sang to him, Money as shriveled as a corpse is dead money, son, and that angry soul will lure you into the pit with it, with that mean-pinching devil, the Vel, whispering fuel into the fire, telling that poor soul that it is dead and forsaken, so why not bring down the foolish and the greedy down with him? Indeed, the longer the young man looked at the flame, which he knew to be the cruel, goading whispers of the Veln, the more the world spinned inside his mind, the more a confusion seeped into the wilderness of his inner direction. He was being disoriented, and he knew he must leave. So holding his breath and willing his horse to go as soft, as silent as possible, 
the young man urged the steed on, leaving that troubled, flaming soul to the Chthonic mothers to quench. Again, the autumnal forest, full of insinuating shadow, wrapped ancient arms around the young man, his horse, and humble cart. And again, his horse plod and his cart bumped through a normal plain of wholesome loam and cool dampness. The arch of the sky held familiar celestial friends, and the nooks and crannies of the dark woodland hosted only calm silence and earthly scurryings. But then... This silence held by ancient trees in the darkness of the waning equinox, this silence bowed inwards as if an invisible giant had laid its bulk on the night. Such presence made the young man's being prickle like a dog's raised hackles. Again, his horse felt it. But this time, the young man had to soothe and stroke and whisper to keep the animal from panicking. The poor beast's eye seemed glazed with a sweating fear, and when the horse stepped slightly to the left, the lantern hanging on the edge of the car illuminated something, something that seemed like a streak of blood across the path, and in the tree line, the clotted, mangled end of something like a tail. And the young man's terror statued him in rock-like rigidity when he saw a great wide eye, a singular eye embedded in a matted forehead, following a massive dog's snout, with nostrils as wide as the mouth of a jar. This sniffed and snarled close to the ground, for clearly the beast had been huddled in the thicket, licking its wounds and its rage. With a roiling, boiling, mucusy growl from somewhere deep in its animal guts, the creature lifted its muzzle from the ground and blinked its bloodshot eye at the young man. And that shock of immobilizing terror that coursed through his abdomen and legs was sharper than he had ever felt. And all language and intention retreated from his mind when, from behind a thick, ancient pine truck, Two long-sized human arms reached out and hooked filthy nails into the ground. And that primal fear that ossified will and flight held complete reign when the creature stood, revealing a chest and then a torso and then the legs of, legs of something humanoid and bestial with immensity and musculature that contained the distant base of god drums and trollish ancient wars. Now this man-giant stood full in the moonlit path, its head tilted as if studying the young man, and it was this that made the young man's gut contract with something like bully anxiety but infinite in its hold and nausea. This Sumburni whose man-form was sculpted from a noble's smearing pride and its head, in which 
calculating court intelligence and animal hunger mingled. This man with the head of a wild dog, it was this creature that studied him with equal parts predation and contemplation. But what made the young man squeeze his eyes shut and make the sign of the cross was that this one's tail had been bitten off, that he was alone and away from his kind. This one had been shamed and shunned, and the fury of that exhaled from every pore of the creature's body. The posturing of this being made it clear that this would not be a kill for food or necessity. Oh no, this would be like a, a lord or noble's hunt. This would be a teasing pursuit, for the creature's own humiliating defeat was a whispering devil in its mind and blood. And when the Samperni thudded and crunched the leaves beneath his heavy step, the young man whimpered the Lord's Prayer, hoping the thudding bass of his chest drum would carry his heart cry to Creator. And when a second step thudded and crunched and a snarl prickled his stinging nerves, the young man opened his mouth and from deep infant memory, a charm, a powerful charm came to him, one taught in whispers by crone mothers, and he spoke the charm. Lay off, curse bag, give room to the Holy Ghost. Three times nine lightnings, three times nine thunders come from the sea. They'll kick you, they'll beat you three times nine fathoms, three times nine miles into the ground. They're your father, they're your mother, they're your brothers, they're your sisters, and there you remain. And the young man repeated the charm three times, and then crossed himself and prayed, and nearly screamed it, when the smell of something like curdled awful enveloped him, and a hot, wet panting breathed down his head. But when a third time... There came the sign of the cross and the Lord's own prayer and grandmother's charm, a great tension of being and spirit, now spread too thin, was broken by a great flash of light and clarity in blood and muscle and bone. And the young man, no longer paralyzed, shouted, and his horse reared up on its back legs and brought its hooves down on the Simplerni's head. And as the young man galloped down the path, a puppy whimpering faded, faded into nothing. Now, the night-shrouded forest full of vaporous beginnings and lolling shadow, drew the young man to the great aspen, its few white-pallored leaves trembling with lament and deathlight, like the last glistening of eyes in candlelight before they closed forever. Surrounding that tree of silverish quaking were moss-comforted gravestones inscribed with tool and grief and memory. Now, his horse plod and his cart bumped through a gossamer plain that was something like walking through the silks of a thousand spider webs. 
The arch of the sky was an ancient oak canopy, the leafy heavens of the realm of the other sun, and the night-darkened grass covering the graves hosted chthonic silence and the empty spaces between grief. But then, this silence held by loam and bark and the darkness of the waning equinox, this silence deepened as if a motherly presence had closed the door of a vast sleeping closet and had draped black velvet over it. The young man waited, his own living breath like a great wind in this dead stillness. He waited for the telltale creaking of the cart, the undeniable sense of spectral presence like frosty breath on winter wind. And as he waited, the void of expectant night began to fill with a whispering, first like dry crone hands rubbing together, and then the whispering surrounded him and he felt a tiny rushing abrasion across his face and then all around his body. He felt sand, as if the desiccated hands of the ancient wind mother had gathered soft grains and now swirled around him. The young man remained still, listening, listening to a soft chant that seemed to be emerging from under the loamy earth, but then seemed to break the surface of an unseen earth to breathe creeping presence onto his bare neck with greater clarity. Hello, Smilsimate, mother of sand, the young man said softly as he heard the spectral chant with clarity now. Do receive, dear Mother Earth, in thy bosom, sister sweetest. Tuck her in so warm and comfy, in thy sandy shawl so snug. And as the bodiless song whispered sand kisses across his face, the young man felt a creaking weight in the cart. Then silence. Then a throat clearing behind him. And when he looked behind him, there was nothing though the aura of personhood was so strong it rolled up his back in tingles. Still he waited, that fibrous feeling of weight about him, and then, where it did not exist before, a density of darkness could be seen under the old aspen, and it resembled the mouth of a cave. But the young, young man knew there was no such thing in his ancestral cemetery. No cave, so he remained utterly silent, even opening his mouth for silent exhalations, all the while staring at this strange opening. And there was no other way to describe it, for that gathering of blackness had a concave aspect to it. Somehow there was dimension to it. Then, as if a wall or a barrier was being gradually chipped away, somewhere inside that opaque cave, Strands of white and golden light, like thousands of tiny silk threads, came from within the dark concave. And though it seems like a dream to him now, first the equine head, and then the elegant foot of a white horse, as luminous as winter sun, and then the elegant upward curved prow of a sleigh, emerged from that door of seeming nothing. Perhaps it was because she too glowed. Perhaps because the nimbus of Vinsole, the other sun, 
was meant for the eyes of the dead. But it took the young man's eyes and mind time to register the white gold-cloaked figure mounted on the horse. He could not register a face it seemed blank to him, like white marble, and the forward-moving horse, along with its rider, seemed almost blurred. The young man blinked, feeling disoriented. Then, it all happened at once, the suffocating feeling like being wrapped in a shroud and buried in a mudslide. It was difficult to breathe, and the young man almost cried out in panic. But Grandmother Wisdom stayed his voice. And as quickly as it came, the feeling went. Then again, that chanting seemed to break the surface of an unseen earth to breathe creeping presence onto his bare neck. And bowing his head, the young man whispered in tones of fear and respect. Welcome, Velumate, mother of wraiths. And all around him, the song became clear. Farewell, father and mother. Good evening, Earth Mother, to you. Good evening, Earth Mother, to you. Take my body in your keeping. The doors of the earth are closing. The lock of the earth falls shut. Under the earth shall I be sleeping, as long as the sun is in the sky. And when the song faded, his cart creaked and shook. Many presences undeniable in their weight and shifting. And though the occasional breath and movement made his skin creep, he still felt a deep sense of familiarity from those unknown presences in the cart. For one knows when his ancestors are present. For the smell of juniper, clay, and honey, the smell of his Nana Eva, after a time in the bathhouse enveloped him, and the earth and sweat of Grandad Artur's, like he had just returned from a day working the harvest, also emanated from the cart. And when the dark opening, and the mother and her sleigh vanished, and the sounds of living earth filled the vacuum, the young man knew it was time to take his ancestors home. Hello, Mythos listeners. If you'd like weekly stories and research content for both creative inspiration and the solace of story, then subscribe to the email list on mythospodcast.com. After all, we can all use a little more enchantment in a disenchanted world. And if you'd like a library of episode transcript ebooks and some special patrons only episodes, please do become a patron on www.patreon.com. I also welcome support for the upcoming series on Japanese and Korean folklore, with um, that, that series will also have a bit of an emphasis on um, thrillers and horror films from those regions and the folklore behind that. And of course, um, the Earth Lore series, another series which will be exploring the folklore of the natural world around the globe. All the links are in the show notes. If you do want to be subscribed to the email list or if you do want to become a patron, um, if you could do that now-ish, that would be fabulous, only because I know that I tend to forget these things. So thank you again for listening.